welcome to episode 106 of Shades Midweek, where we have conversations about theology, culture, and all things Shades. We are coming at you live from Four Streams Studio. I am Brad Brown, joined by my co-hosts, John Mark Drow and Jonathan Haves. Guys, it's good to be back together. Did we do an episode last week? <laughs> Two weeks ago, but we did have one. That Two came weeks out ago, last week. That's right. Well, I forgot because so much has happened. Yeah, so many things have happened. Spring break just kind of threw like a big wrench in the middle of my understanding of time. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yes, and I didn't do anything for spring break. So Neither it did was, I. It was meaningless. There was no break. John Mark went was and played just in a the lot snow. of pollen. We got snow in Cleveland. That's it was right. Awesome. It was good. We went to the aquarium one day. That was cool. We went to a water park one day. Tried to do something every day, so it was Wait, awesome. wait, 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 wait. It was snowing, and you went to a water park? Indoor. Oh. Indoor. <laughs> I guess that's, that's how fun. they do it in, in Wisconsin. Or Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. You were in Ohio. Yes. That's right. Doesn't matter. That's all just northern frozen tundra land to me. Well, and John Mark, since you've been back, you uh, got to do something pretty cool. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, me and actually a few other people that I know from Shades went to see Bob Dylan last night. Hand clap. Live in concert. Oh, that's a lot louder. <laughs> the studio audience is really excited about it. Yeah, uh, I went on a whim. Uh, my buddy John Ball texted me and said tickets are only like $35. That's crazy. In the balcony. And so there were a bunch of tickets left. So I talked to Ashley and she said, yeah, go for it. It's Bob Dylan. It's the third time that I've seen him live. He's 80 years old. He played for an hour and a half. It was mostly new songs. It was amazing. His band is incredible. And, you know, just getting to see Bob Dylan live and in person, it's a special thing. 80 years old. And you said he's going on a pretty extensive tour? This is his world tour from 2021 through 2024. <laughs> it's pretty ambitious for an 80-year-old. <laughs> just yeah, Bo Armistead was there. I didn't get to see him, but I was texting with him. He took Cole. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's and cool. Patrick Smith was uh, at the show as well. Yeah. So it was fun. Brad, you said that you had something you wanted to share. Yeah, I have an update. Okay. So I am officially back on TikTok. Oh. Don't clap for that. <laughs> don't clap for that. I, what? Why? Why? Well, I, I don't even. I don't even want to contribute to this conversation. Well, I wanted to document all of my ups and downs when it comes to social media, so that it can all be out there for the world to see. But I was talking with my buddy. Uh, Caleb, who in the past we would send videos on TikTok back and forth with one another. And he was like, oh, I need to send you this video. That was super funny. And man, when he sent me the video through message, you could, I could see it. I just, I lost it. I was laughing so hard. And I was like, you know, this, this can be a good thing. This can be, this can be a source of joy and relaxation if it's used properly. And so I reconsidered being on it. And you know, Apple's updated their time limit features. Are you all aware of this? No. You're not? Well, okay. So, you know, previously the functionality was very limited. All you could do was say, okay, I only want to spend an hour. But then when the hour would like end for the day, it would be like, do you want to keep viewing? <laughs> and you'd be like, oh, uh, yeah. And then you just keep viewing. 
But now they have it to where you can't keep viewing. You have to go and you have to unlock the password to, in order to get more time. And so basically with... I just love that this is where we are with self-control. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is it. I need, a, I need a robot to tell me to stop. <laughs> so basically what I've done is with all my social media settings, I'm like, okay, I just want to spend like 30 minutes a day on social media tops. That's the max amount. And so then once my 30 minutes is up, it's done. So I don't. I can go on there. I don't feel guilty about it. Do you? Do you and have, I and I can just send fun videos. Do you have the passcode where you could unlock and like extend your time? No, my wife does. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is where we are <laughs> with our self control. Basically, what I'm doing <laughs> is I'm trying to rewire my brain that's go. been totally jacked up yeah, by I, Silicon Valley yeah. since when did I get a phone? 2008, I guess. It's this has been. Yeah, how long I've had a phone in social media. So yeah, I'm I'm thinking hopefully having this robot stop me will rewire my brain <laughs> so that I just get used to that. But we'll see. I'll probably be off it in like a month or two. Oh my and then Lord. I'll probably get back on it. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, that's where I'm at. Andrew and Joseph, we've been sending videos. It's just fun. My favorite part of that entire thing right there was you saying, you know, I decided there's this can have good purposes and it, it can be used responsibly. So I have a robot <laughs> to stop me. <laughs> Because Silicon Valley has rewired my brain. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So these so these are the potential okay dangers that algorithm brainwashing you. The algorithm is pretty horrifying. <laughs> so you're very cool with all of your privacy and information being taken through talk to TikTok. <laughs> I think I've just come to accept it. Okay. At this point, I mean, we all accept it to a certain degree. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I feel like I should just go ahead and mail it to them, and, and you know. Save the time. Answer any questions they have. What are my deepest fears? I might as well just write out a paragraph oh and word. send it to them. Uh, yeah. My well, deepest insecurities. Before the entire episode turns into us just talking about TikTok, cell phones, and social media. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for another social media or, or just cell phone in general. We can talk about cell phones. That's right. But that's right. I feel like Andy Crouch would be okay with me. Yeah. What? You know, <laughs> oh my with uh, TechWise family... I've I've talked about the book. We've talked about the book. He talks about using technology to serve us and not the other way around. And right now, I feel like I feel like I'm doing that. So, uh, Andy, if you're listening, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Oh my word! Well, before we devolve any further, we'll we'll set that aside for a future episode. Uh, ep- episode. Episode. <laughs> Let's just. Uh, this is going downhill fast. Let's just move it along. You got you got an album. J- I'm going to do some shameless self-promotion this month, (laughs) the entire month of April, shameless self-promotion. My album for this week is a single that just released over the weekend called You're Here With Me by the collaboration that I started with Jeremy Moore and John Ball called Shades. This is my wife, Ashley, singing. And the single is available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music. Now, are you going to read about the album and the band from the Wikipedia page? <laughs> There's no Wikipedia entry oh, yet. Oh, that means we can create one. You could create one if you want to. I think there are some other shades, though. I'd be curious if they have Wikipedia entries. Now, John Mark, why don't you say a little bit about 
this song that we're listening to. Yeah, well, this song was written, actually started in 2016, which is six years ago, and it was an idea that that just started with, with me sitting down at the guitar, and I had this chorus idea. Then I sent it, sent it to Jeremy and John Ball, and actually at the beginning of January, let's see, January 2017, me, Jeremy, and John Ball, and actually you too, Brad, were meeting at my house once a week to write and work on songs. And we tried to do this for like several months early on in 2017. And one of the songs that we worked on was this song. We worked out the verses and eventually got the bridge. I think I've forgotten everything pre-2020, to be <laughs> completely honest with you. To say 2017 sounds like you're saying 1917. <laughs> it sounds like 100 plus years ago. Yes, I'm sorry I interrupted. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we started working on the song. It went through a few versions of it, and we eventually came up with what we have. And then when Jeremy and John and I went into the studio... In 2018, we started working out the actual band arrangement for it, and uh, all that. To say, you can listen and, and hear more uh, about Shades and the album that's coming out soon by listening to the midweek episode that came out last week. Um, but this is the first single that we put out, and we've got. Let's see, we've got a single every Friday throughout the month of April. And then on the last Friday in April, the whole full-length album will drop. So this Friday, King of Kings is going to be released out into the world. Wow. Um, not the Hillsong version of I was going to say, is that a cover? It's not a cover. It's an original. Well, one that we played. So did you steal the title from them? or? <laughs> Actually, theirs came out after ours, I believe. Yeah, that was nice of <laughs> Well, you know... I've we've been working on King of Kings since 2016, yep. which was before their theirs came out. So, these are the things that happen when you have a small budget and uh, <laughs> you don't you don't spend 24 hours a day pumping out music. That's right. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm really excited. I was really uh, encouraged by the feedback and the support that we've received from this first single. Uh, if you have Instagram, you can follow us. Our Instagram handle is at Shades Songs, Shades Songs, and you can find all the information there. We also have a website called ShadesSongs.com. It's a bit of a landing page right now. There's not much on it, but there are links there in which you can find the music on Apple Music, Spotify, etc. our YouTube page. Um, we're just excited to be putting out music, man. So, yeah, so this whole month I'm going to be shamelessly plugging. I love it. Uh, the album so that's my it. album of the week great pick this week yeah thank you thank you great pick all right well i guess uh do you have a book today i just might you know you mentioned instagram instagram is essentially trying to become tiktok with the reels yeah Did you realize that yeah we're going back and i we're imagine backwards now i mean jm you're on instagram right yeah and you just talked about it you're promoting things on Instagram. Elon Musk owns 9% of the shares of Twitter now, <laughs> since we're talking about social media news. What does that mean? He's the largest stakeholder of Twitter now, Elon Musk. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of things happening. It's amazing. Welcome to Bradford's Book Club. We're so glad to have you here today. This week, I'm going to do some shameless self-promoting as well. Oh, did gonna, you write a book? Yeah, I'm going to mention one of my books. 
each week for the month of April. Uh, no, all of my books are still in the works, sadly. But I do have a book that I am really excited about. The book is titled The Divine Hours, Prayers for Springtime by Phyllis Tickle. I believe it's pronounced Tickle. It looks like Tickle. Yeah, Tickle or Tickle. Yes. So I think Tickle. <laughs> uh, the Divine Hours, Prayers for Springtime, a manual for prayer. So Phyllis Tickle, among the most respected authorities on religion in America, wow, is one of the many modern Christians who observe the ancient tradition of praying the divine hours, also known as the daily offices. The divine hours prayers for springtime provides four sets of offices, prayer times, morning, midday, vespers, and compline for every day from February through May. So this is just the springtime uh, book. There, She has other prayer books for different seasons. So this is just going February through May. So y'all can see how thick this book is. Uh, each in each each uh, prayer time includes prayers, psalms, Bible readings, and uh, it also involves the different seasons on the church calendar, Lent, Holy Week, Easter. So she uses the Book of Common Prayer, the writings of the church fathers, and she blends prayer and praise in a way that respects and builds up upon the ancient wisdom of Christianity. So this has been a helpful guide for me as um, I pray throughout the day. There's morning prayer and, and midday prayer and prayer for the evenings. And there's just a variety of different forms of prayer as well. And so this has been a guide for me in my devotional time. And once I get enough money, I'm, I think I'm going to buy the, her book for the next season because it's been, it's been so good. So, if you're looking for a book to help you with your daily devotion, your daily time of prayer, check out Phyllis Tickle, The Divine Hours, Prayers for Springtime. I love it. Great recommendation. Before we move on... That was the most unenthusiastic. <laughs> I love it. Great recommendation. Jonathan, do you have any questions about that before we no, move forward? No, we can go on. All right. I just didn't wanna just didn't want to move too fast. Okay. <laughs> if you like the book, email midweek at shadesvalley.org. Brad has a weekly book club <laughs> here on the podcast. Okay. Well, we are we're really just trying to survive in here. There's a lot of weather coming in today. James Spann has been uh, sounding the alarm, oh, yeah. if you will, about the bad weather. And are we going to have to cancel? I don't know if we're going to have to cancel. I don't know. I've already tonight. got. I've already gotten texts asking about it. You know, I was talking with Ashley, and I was like, you know, we need in order to protect ourselves from the weather, we need some sort of shelter. We need maybe maybe uh, something underground, somewhere that we could go to be safe from possible tornadic activity and severe storms that would be coming in. And as we were talking and discussing this, we're like, well, it's too much to to build some sort of storm shelter. That would just be ridiculous. I don't know. But then I was reminded that we could just go down to the email corridor. Man, 
We're feeling silly today. So now we're safe down here. I don't know what's in the air. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You just enjoy it. We have an email, everybody. Wow. It had been a hot minute since we got an email, so I wanted to let the full applause we'll let it, for this yeah. just let it ring out. Uh, it's from one of our good email friends, frequent, frequent email corridor resident Dale Anton has wrote in. It's a real simple email. Thank you for the interview with Mark Lewis. Such a timely message. Let me get right to the point. He says. This interview made my heart leap with excitement. I know that the spirit in me was throwing down. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Gracias and Vien <laughs> Donk. Donke? You, what is it? We got German there at the end? I think maybe some German. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. I'm scanning for it, trying at to the see. the bottom right. there. Valen Dunk or Dunk it. Yeah, I don't know. Do we need Google Translate right I don't know. I don't know. This episode deserves three distinct expressions of gratitude. Now, Dale's an EFCA guy, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. that how he was connected to us? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's for, right. for those who don't know what he's referencing, uh, just a few episodes ago, we interviewed Mark Lewis, the head of the EFCA crisis response, who has been on the ground uh, on the border of Ukraine and Poland. And, and I completely agree with Dale's sentiments. They're like... The, the interview just impacted me and made my heart soar as well. So oh, if, you didn't get a chance, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, you should definitely go back and, and listen to it. And in fact, stop this episode. Yeah, just just, just stop. don't even listen to this one. <laughs> if you haven't heard that one yet, just go to that just one. Just go That's to that true. one. Yeah. Oh, no. But thank you, Dale, for, for your email. So. Yeah, we always love it when people write in. So you can always write in at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Share with us your thoughts. And, yeah. So, what are we talking about today? Well, mm. yeah, um, we we've had a lot of stuff kind of like sitting in the pipeline, really, that we could talk about for a while now. A lot of episode ideas uh, that have just been kind of getting put on the back burner because we've had so many great uh, opportunities to do interviews, like the one with Mark Lewis and and things of that nature. So, but several of the episode ideas have revolved around where we've been on Sunday mornings as we've been walking our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And rather than going back, which hopefully maybe we'll get to eventually, but rather than going back and pulling uh, from one of those older uh, sermons or places we've been and, and continuing the conversation there, we were like, let's, let's continue the conversation from what we did this Sunday, um, this Sunday, we actually, we were in Matthew chapter 6, and it was our second Sunday in unpacking what Jesus has to say about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And specifically this, this Sunday, we were focused in on the Lord's Prayer. It's the, debatably the most famous portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the center of the Sermon on the Mount. It literally falls right in the, in the middle of it. And I, I had laid it out for us to cover the Lord's Prayer on a single Sunday and quickly discovered that was dumb. <laughs> it was a re- it was a really really dumb decision. Um, I uh, I talked to Brett. I think on Jonathan's tombstone I want to write I need more sermons. <laughs> <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> I, I talked to Brad and I, I was <laughs> in the midst of my preparation and I was frustrated. I was like Brad the the ser- the not sermon about the uh, the Lord's, Lord's prayer, prayer deserves its own sermon series. I actually was so frustrated that I literally thought through the text 
and was like, if I broke this down into its own series, how many sermons would it get? Seven. <laughs> it would get seven it's a great sermons. Number. And it only had one. And on top of it that, it was one. a Green Spring Sunday, which meant it needed to be shorter. I don't know that I made it that much shorter, but <laughs> but it needed to be shorter. But you felt the pressure. Ah, I did. I did feel the pressure, and I was, I was frustrated. So there was tons of stuff, tons of stuff as I was studying and thinking and praying that just had to hit the cutting room floor. Um, and, and some of that was just like fun stuff that it's like, oh man, this is really cool. It would be fun to talk about this and fun to talk about that. And, and, but some of it was like kind of bigger picture, deeper stuff that had to hit the cutting room floor, things that would have gotten their own sermon, you know, for sure. That's right. And so I was like, you know what, you know what, this stuff needs some, some breathing space. So I'm, I'm going to take over the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to get so some of this are. stuff out of my system. So Yeah. So, for instance, when I say that there is some fun stuff that just hit the floor, let me just, just to get it out of my system. Give us a few fun things. Just a few fun about, things. About the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. So, like, for instance, one of the things we talk about all the time uh, here at Shades is the already not yet. The already not yet is like a framework through which you can think about where we are in the scope of redemptive history. Mm-hmm. So, Jesus Christ coming, living, dying, rising, inaugurates his kingdom. So the New Testament's chock full of kingdom language. And we talk about the kingdom all the time. And we talk about the kingdom as a coming kingdom. So it's got this future reality to it. But then we also talk about it as a present reality. It's present. It's here. And that's what we mean by the already, not yet. In one sense, Christ's kingdom is inaugurated. It's already here. But in another sense, it's not yet here. The world is still chock full of sin. Redemption has not been brought to its final completion and won't be until Christ returns. So we live in the midst of the already not yet. One of the fun things is you can see that clearly reflected in the Lord's Prayer. So if you just look Mm. at the first half of the Lord's Prayer, all of the petitions there uh, emphasize this eschatological focus. In other words, they're, they're, they're looking forward to when the kingdom comes in full, you know. Father, yeah, hallowed be your name. We want your name perfectly hallowed everywhere. I mean, that's that's a request for bring about the kingdom. And if you can't see it explicitly there, you see it in the next request. Your kingdom come. Mm-hmm. That's, that is in its fullest sense being prayed for, for your future coming. Let it come. As it is in heaven. Yeah, so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That last little phrase there, on earth, it is, this is one of the fun things, one of the fun things. On earth as it is in heaven, thing. it actually applies to all three of those petitions. Like it's not just saying your will be done on earth as it, but your kingdom be here on earth like it is in heaven. Your name be hallowed here on earth as it is. It applies equally to all three of those petitions. So yeah, that is fun. Um, and and then you see the present reality of the kingdom in the second half of the prayer, um, you, where we pray for the provision of our needs now, our physical needs now, give us our daily bread, our spiritual needs now. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that is done so that we can, all of those things are prayed so that we can hallow God's name in our life, so that we can bear witness to his coming kingdom in our life and, and how we're already experiencing uh, that kingdom as citizens of it. Um so that we can fight temptation in our life. We, we talked, we did get to talk on Sunday about how the first and second halves of the prayer are connected to one another. Um, but yeah, so already, we get that already in the second half of the prayer, and we get that not yet in the first half of the prayer. So you can see the tension of the already not yet in the very way that Jesus taught us to pray. So yeah, fun stuff. And then, obviously, there are six petitions in total 
in the Lord's Prayer, and some of them we were able to give a little more attention to than others on Sunday. Each petition could have its own stinking sermon almost, um, but... What, I feel like petition is a word that my church did not use a lot growing up in regards to prayer. Do you all feel like petitions? Do you remember hearing that? Well, yeah, I mean, in my SPC now that you church, say it, now that you say it, I'm sitting here going, okay, so for most people, when they hear petition, they're probably thinking about signing their name on something in protest of something. Right, um, right, right, right. No, I was just thinking about that language. I think I was introduced right. to that language in seminary. Okay. And then it's become more common, and yeah, I use yeah. it now all the time. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just reflecting on that. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I'd have to reflect on my upbringing as to whether or not yeah. we used petition. But I, it's kind of like, request. Yeah, was request. a word that would be used. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's no. like like uh, a request. Lord, make this happen. Please let this happen. But what petition gets across that request doesn't is that all of these words in Greek are actually imperatives. Hmm. But it's not that you're giving God commands like like an imperative has more function than that mm-hmm. it's not like you're saying god i command you to hallow your name it's right it's a strong request it's a it's a pleading it's a and that's what petition kind yep. of gets across um, totally right there anyway it's helpful yeah but so there was a lot more that could be said about all of these petitions a lot more fun things so like for instance i'll just give you the last two we did not get to expand those very much at all but so, like, petition number five is forgive us our debts. And I very quickly said, hey, a better translation would be trespasses. It'd be fun mm. to unpack why debts is used there, which for us is more financial, but it's not in that. Is that the ESV, debts? Yeah, but, that, I mean, that's that's a really literal translation of the Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they would talk with that debt language is because they were in the context of an honor-shame culture. And so, like, debt language there wasn't merely financial like it is for us. It could be used to communicate that idea of you have wronged me somehow, mm-hmm. you know, or I have wronged you, and I stand in need of a, of we, we, the word, see, here's a fun one, reconcile in English. Mm-hmm. We still use that in both cases of, like, reconciling debts. And all right, that. Like, right. Like that, that's where there's a lot of crossover mm-hmm. in that language. Anyway, yeah, for sure. Just been fun to pull out some more about the honor shame culture there, things like that. Oh yeah. Um, but beyond that, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. I talked very quickly about how that's not Jesus saying we got to earn forgiveness, but he's he is pushing back against what he's been pushing back against throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, and that's hypocrisy. Like Mm -hmm. as if we could ask God to forgive our sins while we withhold it from other people. What would have been fun to do is unpack the way Matthew develops that theme further in his gospel. Matthew is massively concerned in his gospel, um, or we could say Jesus is massively concerned, um, with our forgiving of one another. And one of the most interesting places this comes out is in Matthew chapter 18. Whenever we hear Matthew 18, what most if you think of anything, most people think, oh, that's where the church discipline passage is. So the passage mm-hmm. that where Jesus says, if you know your brother sinned against you, then go tell your brother uh, their fault. Um, yep. And if they don't listen to you, take another one. And if not, you eventually bring it to the church. And if they yep. won't repent, you treat them. How like, to handle conflict. Yeah, how to handle disagreement. Conflict. Yeah. Here's what's so intriguing. So for most of us, as we think through that passage, the accent falls on uh, 
here's what you do in the case of somebody being unrepentant, you know, um, and and for for us, like, I, I think that we're often con- like our biggest concerns we read through Matthew 18 is, man, that's going to be really hard to deal with someone if they're not repentant. It's going to be really hard to take them through that process. What's interesting is that in context, the concern and the accent actually falls on the opposite end. So hmm. right after those instructions of what to do when someone's sinning against you and they're unrepentant, right after that, it's a, the text says, then Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? In other words, Peter's concern after just hearing, here's the process when someone sins against you, yeah. his concern is that they do repent right. and he is now obligated to forgive his concern is not that, oh, taking them through a process where they're unrepentant and having to discipline, that's not going to be hard. What's going to be hard is if they repent, and then I have to forgive them. That's yep. what's going to be hard. And Jesus tells the story of the unrepentant servant, um, which illustrates the point that's being made in the prayer, mm. uh, the, in, the, in, the, in the parable of the unforgiving servant. You know, this servant has a huge debt. You get that debt language again. He has a huge debt against a, a king or a master, and uh, it's forgiven to him. But then he turns around and goes out and finds another fellow servant who doesn't owe him very much at all but won't forgive him, has him thrown in debtor's prison. And when the king hears about mm-hmm. this, he revokes <laughs> his previous ruling and throws the dude in jail. I mean, it's the principle of like you won't be forgiven if you don't also forgive. You can't be a hypocrite in this way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's just fun stuff like that where Jesus, Matthew, like picks up and continues to develop the themes of the stuff that they've yeah. been talking about. Well, and I don't think there's a textual connection, but it's interesting to think about Peter's denial in light of that, just when you said Peter is the one to respond. Right. And three times forgiven. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 It is It is very intriguing to kind of like just pull on those threads yep. throughout the rest of, of the gospel. Gospels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so one, one more. I'll do this really quickly. So we're, we're, Peti- just on, we're just on the fun stuff. Petition <laughs> six. Yeah. Petition number six. I would have liked to have teased out a little bit more because if you really think about the petition. Here, here's the problem. We're so familiar with like the language of the Lord's Prayer, we don't even think about it. We just kind of say it, right. you know? Right. But if you really think about the petition, it kind of causes you to ask some really hard questions. So so the, oh, yeah. the final petition is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, I think is the proper translation right there. Yep. Well, have you ever just stopped to think about that first part of that petition, lead us not into temptation? Right. Why is Jesus teaching us to ask the Father not to lead us into... Is this something the Father does? Right. Like, does he lead us into temptation? I, mean, I don't think so. I, how in the world am I going to square that with James? Right. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 13 says um, that God doesn't tempt doesn't anyone. Tempt. With the, he can't be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each person, when he's tempted, is being carried away by his own desires. So it's like, what, what, what the heck? Well, clearly the Bible just has a bunch of contradictions. 
Well, you, you got to do some digging. You got to do some thinking. And the Greek word that underlies temptation right here, yes, it can refer to temptation, but it can also refer to testing, which is something that Scripture clearly talks about God mm-hmm. doing, testing our faith, and always for good aims and for good purposes, for the strengthening of our faith. I was just going to say the prime example of that is Jesus going into the wilderness, led into the wilderness. By the Spirit. By the Spirit. Yes, absolutely. Where he's tempted. Yeah, the Lord tests Abraham in uh, Genesis 22. The the Lord tests his people throughout their wilderness wanderings. Uh, And even just going to James chapter 1 again, the same chapter that I just quoted from that said God doesn't tempt anybody. Uh at the very beginning, count it all joy. Yeah, count it all joy when you when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing, testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he goes on to list all of these great things that testing of our faith can produce. Well, okay, so so all right, you're saying, Jonathan, what we're praying is is for God not to lead us into testing, the testing of our faith. He doesn't tempt us, but he but he tests us. But I'm still confused. Because we're asking God not to do this. But didn't you just say, didn't James just say, count it all joy? Right. When you encounter trials, like the testing of your faith does good things. So so shouldn't we, in some sense, desire the testing of our faith? Why would we pray for God to not take us into something that's ultimately good for us? Mm. Well, Brad, I'm very glad that you just asked that question. It's a great question. <laughs> What's going on? Um, well, I so... If we read the petition in its fullness, I think that we see that God is not only the one at work, but Satan is also at work in every test that we encounter. And Satan is at, well, God is at work for his good, righteous, and right purposes in testing our faith. But Satan is also at work in the midst of those situations to tempt us towards evil. We see this tension all throughout Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in the same event, you have God's righteous and right will and you have the will of the enemy uh, aimed at evil purpose. So you just think about like Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul talks about how God is at work through that for his glory and for Paul's good. And he also calls it a messenger from Satan. And now Satan is trying to use it to destroy his faith. So what the prayer ultimately is, is it's, it's God protect me from, like I don't want to enter into testing unnecessarily. It's not wrong to pray that. Mm-hmm. Uh, an easy comparison might be persecution. The scripture talks all the time about how persecution, you know, count it all joy when you encounter trials, persecution can produce good things for the glory of God. Paul talks about it in Philippians 1, how his being persecuted and being put in jail is actually furthering the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. in Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12, tells us to rejoice when we encounter persecution. I mean, you could say any suffering in general. Yes, but at the same time, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 23, Jesus instructs his disciples to flee from persecution. Mm-hmm. We, we see both of these things unfold in the life of the Apostle Paul. We see Paul rejoice in the midst of persecution. Think about when he sings with Silas in the jail in Philippi. And we also see Paul flee from persecution, lowered out of the city in a basket by his friends, you know, and those things aren't in contradiction with one another. By all means, yes, we can pray to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to have to go through testing, you know? And if I do, keep me from being tempted by the evil one. Don't let me give in to his temptations. If I do, then absolutely I want 
the testing to produce good things mm-hmm. in my faith. You know, we can pray, Lord, protect us from persecution. We don't want to go through persecution, but if I do, I want it to honor you. Mm-hmm. I want it to glorify you. So that's what's going on in the yeah. midst of that final final petition right there. Totally. That's powerful that the Lord's testing is always for our good. The enemy's temptation is to wreck and destroy our faith. But because we proclaim that God is sovereign, that he's working all things for our good, we can profess that no matter what temptations or trials or whatever we go through, that God is not watching from the sidelines, that he's not powerless, and that will ultimately not end in our destruction, but that God will use it to grow our love for him, to sanctify us, and to bring us into eternity with him. Preach. So that's that's, that's good news. But yeah, yeah you got to think about it. Lead us not into temptation. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. But that's just fun stuff. That's just fun stuff that hit the cutter room floor. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Yes. Um, okay. So but, we got fun stuff. Yeah, what other, fun what stuff. other things are, go- are there, going so on? There are some really big things that I wanted to talk about. And maybe, you know, maybe we will come back one day and do an entire series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but there, there are some some big things that hit the cutting room floor um, because, and you may be like, Jonathan, if they were big things, why'd they hit the cutting room floor? Well, well, because there's multiple ways at coming at what the text of the Lord's prayer is teaching us like you can't exhaust that thing um and so i wanted us to be able to have a convo here on midweek uh that it comes at this text another way um and namely i I wanted to to do it by answering three trying to answer three questions so here's kind of some of the big stuff that hit hit the the floor i want to try to answer the the questions uh what how excuse me why how and what so uh why pray like, what's the point? What's the purpose? Uh, second, how do we learn to pray? I mean, that's what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Prayer, right? He's teaching us how to pray. Like, how do we actually go from what he says to learning how to pray? A lot of people feel like they don't even know what to pray, how to pray, any of that. Right. Um, and then I thought at the end, um, this isn't stuff cut from the sermon, but I thought that, you know, we could share uh, what prayer looks like in our own lives. You know, as by way of some application stuff here, maybe some things that have been helpful uh, for us or, or things that haven't been helpful. Um, so anyway, okay. Yep, sounds good. So here we go. First big question, why? Why should we pray? And and this relates a little bit to what we were just talking about, and Brad, that you were mentioning a lot there, and that's the sovereignty of God. Mm. Like if we believe that God is sovereign, in other words, we believe he has purposes, he has a plan, he will accomplish his purposes. He will accomplish his plan. Nothing can thwart the will, the perfect will of God. We would all affirm that and say we believe that. Mm-hmm. So why pray? <laughs> Does yeah. prayer matter if it doesn't affect anything? If God's, yeah, God's going to do what God's going to do. Yeah. His plan's set, then why, why even pray? Uh, or, or another thing we could say is... Um, uh, in asking why do we pray, we could also say um, prayer doesn't seem to work anyway. Like I hear that a lot from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, prayer. Like I pray about things, but they don't happen. You know, or they rarely happen, and so prayer doesn't seem to to work. And and both of these kind of sources of the question why pray, both of them are thinking about prayer uh, in an incorrect way. 
uh, in a way that is not theologically faithful to the presentation of prayer in Scripture. So what I mean, I'll, I'll take these kinds of questions in reverse order to, to answer. So, so for the person who says that you know prayer doesn't seem to work, that that's espousing a view of prayer that that the purpose of it, why I should pray, is to persuade God to center on me. In other words, it sees prayer as an invita- of as me inviting God to participate in my purposes. Like God, here's what I want to happen, and prayer is the means by which I'm going to say, all right, you come over here and you get on the, the same page as me. But that is not a biblical perspective on what prayer is at all. As a matter of fact, if we want to go back to James, I don't know why I'm on a James kick today, but apparently I'm on a James kick. So if we want to go to James chapter 4 and verse 6, he specifically talks about prayer this way being problematic. Okay, it's not verse 6, sorry, it's verse 3. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Like In other words, you, you believe that the entire purpose of prayer is that God's kind of like your heavenly butler who's mm. just kind of there to like take your requests and do your bidding. And to get on board with with your purposes. And James basically says, of course prayer doesn't work like that. Like you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly. You know, it's interesting. I I was looking at the CSB and it translates it. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting a lot of what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, prayer is actually the opposite of that. Uh, prayer is God's invitation to us to communicate with him. It's not our invitation to God. It's God's. It's, it's us responding to God's invitation to participate in his purposes. You know, so whereas we often view prayer as, God, I'm inviting you to come participate in my purposes, is, is the opposite biblically. Prayer is the means that God has given us. It's the invitation that God has given us to participate in his purposes purposes. So if I was going to put a text under that for you, let's go with 1 John chapter 5, I believe. Let's see if I can get it right this time. Uh, And verse 15. I was wrong again. It's not verse 15. It's verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, the purpose of prayer is for me to participate in God's purposes, in his will. Is that not how the Lord's prayer begins? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when I move into all of my requests for the provision of my daily bread, for the forgiveness of my sins, for keeping me from from falling into temptation— all of that is being drawn up into that greater purpose. All of that is, God, sustain my life, grant me forgiveness, do, do all of these things so that I can participate in your purposes, in, mm. in, the, in seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. So instead of God kind of orienting himself towards us, it's us reorienting ourselves towards him and his purposes. Instead of him getting caught up in what, 
we want in our agenda, so on and so forth. It's us getting caught up in his agenda, no matter what's going on around us. Right. Absolutely. It's so kind of a reframing, if you will. Yes, absolutely. And that doesn't mean that we don't express the desires of our heart. We talked about that briefly on Sunday. Mm-hmm. By all means, we express the desires of our heart, but always in the context of expressing a deeper desire. Yeah. That God, ultimately, what I, I know that you know best, and I trust you. I mean, that's, that's the framework that the Lord's Prayer is operating in. Yep. Your Father knows what you need. And that's that kind of reframing aspect yes. that I was getting at. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Having our desires brought before Him, and then in that process of bringing it before Him, in communion with Him, by the Holy Spirit, there's kind of a, a reorienting, a reframing, yes. a re-shaping. Um, that, yeah, that's what prayer does. Yeah. Like, like I may come... To of bring to God when you're frustrated, when you're angry that he hasn't done what you wanted him mm-hmm. to do. Because it's through the process of bringing it to him and pouring that out in prayer that he's at work shaping, reframing, reorienting your heart to to say, nevertheless, not my will, mm-hmm. but your will. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, totally. 100%. Prayer is the, the means by which yes. that is happening. Yeah, that's good. Um, so it's not that you need to get there before you pray. Right. Get to the place where, okay, I'm not mad that I didn't get what I wanted. Um, you know, God, it's it's all your will. I got to get there first. No, no. Prayer is actually a process that, that gets you there. Yep. So, yep. yeah. Absolutely. But, but so that's the first kind of theological reorientation that we have to have to know why we should pray. Uh, it's because it's the means by which we participate in the purposes of God. But mm-hmm. that still kind of leaves me asking the, the first question about God's sovereignty. Like, okay. Jonathan, so prayer is the means by which we participate in God's purpose. But who cares? Mm-hmm. Like if God's still going to do what He's going to do, then then why? I, I don't get yeah. how that's actually me participating in that. And what I would say in response to that is, our God is a God of means. Like He loves to work His power through things, and He constantly works His sovereign power through our responsible action. So, like, who who saved? the people out of Egypt, God or Moses, God did. Mm-hmm. But how? Through through the means of Moses. This is how God does all that he does. He, he does it through means. Who, who saves people? Us or God? Well, God does. But how does he do it? He does it through the means of his people spreading the gospel, preaching the gospel. Well, God one of the primary ways he accomplishes his purposes is through the prayers of his people. You see that again and again and again in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the easiest places to see that is Jeremiah 29.11. Uh, Jeremiah 29.11 is a verse that everybody knows. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans to give you future and hope, plans for prosperity, yada, 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 all of that. Um, I shouldn't say that about the Bible, but it's in the context of a larger letter that God... Very disrespectful, I know. Jonathan. It's in, a, it's in the context of a larger letter that God is sending to his people who are in exile. And what he's telling his people who are in exile is, I've got you. I've got plans for you to give you a future and a hope. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you out of exile in Babylon. But what's really interesting is if you keep reading, what he says is the day's going to come when you're going to pray and I'm going to hear and I'm going to rescue you. So God's making a sovereign promise of, I'm going to rescue you mm-hmm. out of exile. But how's that going to happen? What, what are the, what's the means by which you're going to pray? And I'm going to work my sovereign power through your prayers. 
to answer your prayer. You get to be involved in bringing about my purposes. That doesn't make our prayers meaningless. It actually makes them meaningful. Like, how else would our prayers be meaningful? Is, is that not the very thing we're asking God to do when we pray? Work your power through what I'm praying. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, so yes, of course, God could accomplish everything by his sovereign power, according to his plan, apart from us altogether. But he's chosen to work his power through our responsible action. Yes, there is a theological tension there. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to resolve that tension for you. If we cut that tension, uh, I, I think it leads us into horrible, unbiblical places. Let, just with regards to prayer, if you cut the tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility, and you just say, all right, all I'm going to emphasize is God's sovereignty, well, then you're going to run to the route of fatalism. You are going to say, why should I pray? Yeah. None of it matters. Why should I do anything? Yeah. But if you cut the tension in the other way and just emphasize human responsibility, that's going to lead you to fear. It's yeah. going to be like, oh, well, shoot, everything depends on me. If I don't pray, peop- th- those people don't get saved. If I don't pray, then God's purposes aren't accomplished. Then I don't, like, you've got to hold that tension, you know, and mm-hmm. holding that tension, it doesn't lead us to fatalism. It leads us to faith. God and his sovereignty can accomplish what we ask, and it doesn't lead us to fear. It leads us to faithfulness. Uh, I will be faithful to pray because I know that God is at work through my prayers to accomplish his purposes. So, yeah. So, yeah. So why, the question, why pray, one of those big questions, mm-hmm. is to participate in the purposes of God. Yeah, to be human yeah. as we were created. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that leads us to kind of the second big one, uh, the, the second big thing that had to hit the cutting room floor, and that's how. Like, how do we learn to pray in this way? You know, how, mm-hmm. how or, or maybe you're feeling like, Jonathan, yeah, okay, cool, I want to participate in the purposes of God, but like, I don't know what to say. When I pray, I don't even know where to start. Like maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian environment and you're like, yeah. I don't know how any of this works. Well, what I love right here is I love to take people to the form of the Lord's Prayer. There's actually another place that it appears. It appears in the Gospel of Luke in a kind of a shortened, tighter form. Uh, but if you go to Luke 11, uh, verses 2 to 4. I, I love it right there because there Jesus is giving, it's not in the context of, of the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus gives this prayer in response to his disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray. So it's the very question we're asking, how do we pray? And Jesus says, he literally says, when you pray, say, Father. And then he gives the rest of the prayer. What's so interesting to me, and I think what's so instructive right there, is Jesus doesn't give uh, a lecture on, well, uh, when you pray, here's step one. Uh, you mm. got to come, you got to do some confession. And then here's step two, you got to do some adoration, some praise of God and who he is. And then you present your request. And you, He doesn't give a formula. He doesn't give a step-by-step. He doesn't take you to a whiteboard at all. He gives you words to say. Jesus basically says, repeat after me. Mm. You want to learn to pray? Repeat after me. He's not, in in, in doing that, he's not just giving us a liturgy. Like liturgy are written, fixed prayers that we pray, liturgical prayers. Yeah, make sure to say this. Yeah, yeah. And it, it is that. Of course it's that. We can can totally read this prayer and pray it exactly that. But, But it's more than that. And my favorite comparison is it's like kids learning to talk. How do kids who have no language whatsoever learn to talk. 
they just repeat what they hear. Uh, they don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. They just, I mean, parents, as parents, we lie to ourselves. We like to think they do. When they say mama and dada for the first time, we like to we like to think they know what they're talking about. I ain't got a clue what they're talking about. <laughs> um, and that's how we expand their vocabulary. You know, even to this day, like right now, I mean, my youngest Solomon is, is how old is he? He's almost four. <laughs> he's almost, sorry, there's five of them, okay? It's a lot. Um, he's He's almost four. He's three. But so that's how we repeat his vocabulary. Like when there's a word he doesn't know, we'll be like, can you say, you know, I'm trying to think of a word that would be within his grasp that he doesn't know yet. I'm trying to not just be like, can, can you say justification? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's what you do with kids. You ask yeah. them to repeat it after you. And what happens is they start out just repeating until eventually the words and the meaning of the words sink in and become their own and they're able to assemble them and use them to express themselves. Well, we learn to pray in the exact same way. As a matter of fact, this is how you teach kids to pray. Mm-hmm. Repeat after me. You know, Solomon right now, he if I ask who wants to pray, like at dinner, every time that kid's going to raise his hand. Oh, yeah. Every time he's going to raise his hand. And every time he's going to go, can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> and you say, and we say, dear Jesus, and he goes, dear Jesus, and, and he just repeats after us. Yeah. One day he'll pray on his own because he's learning, he's repeating until the words become his own, and he can use them to express himself. Yeah. Even if you're an adult, this is, I think, this is what Jesus is doing. Oh, totally. The illustration that I always use is when I first came to Shades, I noticed that everyone would say, "Yeah, God," before they would pray. <laughs> right. Right. And I was like, why does everybody say this? And I realized, oh, the stall cup, our prayer le- the stall cups, our prayer leaders, they'll they'll say that when they pray, if they're continuing a prayer. And so others have just adapted that language, but they're not thinking about it. They're right. just speaking, communicating. Yeah. It's true. I mean, we have a diversity of traditions that people grew up in that now are a part of shades. And so if I probably not always, but normally if I can sit down with someone and say, Tell me your testimony. With the type of language that they use, right, right, and how they talk about the service and their church, their kind of uh, experience growing up. Normally, I can land the denomination. Right. Sometimes it can be hard between SBC and non-denominational, but n- I digress. <laughs> the point is, yes, we're given a language, right, that we learned, that we listened to, that we read, and then yeah. it became our own. You're, yeah, to back up what you're saying. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray, and so. Um, From there, I think we can move into kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is what does this look like in our own lives? Because the first thing that I would share, I think, has just a natural connection point with with what I was saying right there about this whole learning to pray by repeating um, uh, uh, someone until the words become our own. Um, So if I wanted to, like, show you what that what that specifically has looked like practically in my life. It looks like praying the prayers given to us in Scripture. So literally praying the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and the way that I would do that uh, is I would use the Lord's Prayer as basically prayer prompters. So like I would read the first line of it. This is, how, this is the repeat after me situation. Uh, Jesus says, uh, pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I would use that as a prayer. I would just put it in my own words. God, I'm so thankful that I can relate to you as my father. You're my father in heaven. You're, you're powerful. You're over everything. And, and my desire is for you to be glorified. 
And then I read the next line, your kingdom come. And whatever that prompted in my heart, God, th- this world is so broken. And I contribute to that. And I, I so want it not to be. I want to see your kingdom come. Let me bear witness to that kingdom now. Let me, and I just pray whatever it brought to mind. Same thing. Your will be, and then you know, give us this day our daily bread. God, I have some needs. And I, I don't know how they're going to be met unless you meet. And I would just go line by line. And it's kind of a repeat after me. Put it in your own words um, situation. And scripture in Scripture, we are given much more than just this prayer. Um, from from Jesus, Paul prays prayers throughout all of his letters, but we're given an entire prayer book in the Psalms, in the Psalter. You can do this with the Psalms. You can take them and just go line by line and use it as prayer prompters, and this is re- learning the language of prayer. Um, and so this is just one really practical way, like for me, uh, in my own life, that has helped me, I think, learn how to pray. One of the things it one of the things it did for me, uh, praying scripture, is it helped me to be less repetitive in my prayers. Like just kind of praying the same thing over and over mm. again, just kind of get stuck in a rut because as you go through the Psalms, you're constantly prompted in different directions and things different things brought to mind. Uh, and the other thing I found that it would do is it would sustain my prayers. Uh, I ended up praying more. And not that you have to pray for a certain amount of time. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm. Uh, but I'm. But just by nature of having prompts, uh, I would end up praying more and spending more time in prayer because um, I wasn't just kind of sitting there saying the same thing over and over again. I was uh, being turned in all sorts of different directions. So mm. um, it makes me think about the book "Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy," and I can't remember the author, but he's talking about prayers of lament. Is that Vrogop? Vrogop, yes, yeah. that's right. And at the end, he actually has a guide of how to kind of take the Psalms as a model and then pray, write your own prayers of lament off of that. And I think you can do that not only with the Psalms of lament, but any of the Psalms. Yeah, there's a book. Oh, the author, Whitney, Donald Whitney. Is that, that sounds that, right. That the spiritual Spir- disciplines guy. Yeah, spiritual disciplines, yep. Um, but he's got one called like Praying the Scriptures. It's a real small book, and, and it's all about this whole topic how to pray the the word. Yeah. I think about it like music too. Maybe JM can help me out here. But there's a sense when you're first learning to play music that you really need kind of a foundation. You need the basics. Uh, you know, with drums, I'm thinking about just hitting the bass on the one and the snare on the two. <laughs> it's one, two, one, two. But then like as you do that over time, you become less focused on that. You just start doing that. And then you're able to accent and go different directions. And it's all kind of stemming from this base that you've built. Yeah, muscle memory. Muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. And you're able to kind of build upon it. And then you're not you're just doing it. You're not even thinking about it. Well, we've talked about that being the overarching point of liturgy. Yeah, totally. Uh, it all, mm. all together is, mus- is developing spiritual muscle memory. And that yep. definitely applies to, to prayer. I, I have uh, one or two other things things from me personally in my, my prayer life that I've found helpful, but uh, do, do I do we want to go around? Do y'all want to share some of yours, or do you want me to just share all of mine, and then we go to, <laughs> I don't know how we're doing this last section. <laughs> I don't know. I can, I can throw in one. Yeah, throw in one. One piece. So one thing that I've started doing recently is spending time in silence and kind of silent prayer 
meditation, mm. and not in a way where now, I'm... Brad, that sounds new agey. <laughs> nope, not gonna, not gonna continue it. We're gonna have to edit it out, no matter what I just, you know, what I was about to say. Um, but yes, so there's Sorry, actually I'm a totally book. just I'm threw to, your, your lot of thought. No, you're good. It, uh, it was based off a Christian book, Jonathan, um, called Contemplative Prayer yes. for Chronic Anxiety, and in there he talks and actually has some guided meditations where you you sit in silence, but it's not kind of this like clearing your mind and trying to reach nirvana or like searching within yourself to find your true self. It's, it's nothing like that. It's really just sitting in silence and acknowledging all the thoughts that come into your head. Naturally, this is going to happen. This happens in the midst of prayer. Even if you're praying verbally, you get distracted, thoughts come into your mind. Essentially what you do is you just kind of acknowledge those thoughts and you just kind of let them pass through. I think about it like a a piece of paper going in one ear and then you're just pulling it out the other. That's kind of what you're doing with your thoughts. And really you're just sitting and you're acknowledging that um, because you are in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is present and God loves you and is with you. And you just sit in there and kind of focus on that for, I mean, I've done it for 20 minutes before. And what that's, I, th- I think part of how that can help us is in the midst of our day, when anxious thoughts begin to come into our mind, it allows us to just see them as exactly that and kind of allow them to pass through and to do that all with the framework that God is with us, that he loves us, and that he's going to provide for us. And so that's something that I've just started doing recently. I still will pray through the scriptures. I still will have times where I'm interceding for others. I'll have times where I'm like the, for my book club, the divine hours where I'm reading prayers throughout church history. But this has been a new element that I've been incorporating into my prayer life. So yeah. JM. Yeah. I would say for me, one thing that's helped me a lot, I grew up Pentecostal and uh, Oh oh boy. One thing that's helped me, though, in just kind of like everyday prayer uh, has really been a book that we've mentioned before, which is the Every Moment Holy Volumes 1 and 2 that's been uh, released through Rabbit Room Press. They have prayers throughout different times of the day. So there's a section in the book where you basically have a prayer in the morning, a prayer kind of midday, and a prayer in the evening. And it, it walks you through this guided prayer, but it also uh, recommends that you pick out a scripture verse, like maybe something short, and you read it during that time, and then you pray, and then you go back to the verse again or whatever, and then you pray some more. There's like mm. there's like different instructions, and it's really cool. It, it helps me like give me a guide because I think sometimes it can be, I think sometimes some people feel overwhelmed like, I've got to pray. What am I going to pray about? What are, what are words that I can say? You know, if I pray for five minutes, am I going to run out of things to pray about all of a sudden? Yeah. And so this is, that's been a really helpful for me just kind of in my daily personal life coming into the office in the morning and trying to spend some time walking through that morning prayer or, you know, remembering at lunchtime, I should maybe, Maybe walk through that that lunch prayer that they have, you know. It kind and then it kind of ke- it keeps you coming back to it throughout the day too, mm-hmm. which is which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, 
prayer prayer books uh, can be used in the exact same way that we were talking about earlier uh, with scripture um, and praying the prayers of scripture. Like you can pray them straight. You can also use them as prayer prompters. Right. Um, and in a way, so we we've talked about scripture teaching us to pray, but uh, in a way, uh, prayer books are the church historic uh, and the church present, church global, mm. uh, helping us learn to pray. Uh, by yeah. repeating after after them, one of my favorites that I've used over the years is a collection of Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision. Oh yeah, those are um, great. And so yeah, all of those resources, mm. uh, every moment holy, those are those are fantastic and can really I think be be great helps. Um, uh, it, even in times when we don't know what to pray. Yeah. You know, um, how do I express my heart? Uh, the church can help us. Yeah. Uh, to express our our heart. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, kind of last thing that that I've got. That if you guys have anything else, you're free to to throw it in, or um, or we can wrap it. Uh, but the, it sounds silly, but one of the things that's helped me the most in in my prayer life uh, is praying out loud instead of silently. I actually started doing. I, men- I agree. I, I mentioned this on Sunday. The fact that they uh, praying silently. Uh, in in biblical times, actually, this might have been two weeks ago, but praying silently in biblical times was very rare. It was considered weird. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, you can see that in Scripture itself. If you remember the story of Hannah, um, when she's praying outside of the the tabernacle, longing for for Samuel, it says her lips were moving, but there was no sound coming out, and it leads Eli to think she's drunk. <laughs> Um, like they just they, they thought it was weird. Uh, they didn't read silently either. That's that's more of a thing that we do. Um, and I remember learning that and going, huh? I wonder if that changes and affects like the way you pray. And so I just started praying out loud. And what I noticed was it helped me maintain focus a lot mm-hmm. more. It's not that nothing else ever jumps into my mind or whatever, but it's a lot harder. Uh, or if you if you don't want to pray out loud, you can write your prayers. I know people that do that, and that's yep. another way of that's like, one of the things I was going to mention. Yeah, kind of in I include it in journaling. If right, you will. right, right. Yeah, that can help me focus. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, and then the, the last thing for me, uh, I, I think it's funny. You know, one of the greatest struggles that all of us probably have with prayer is time. Finding time, like when do you find time to pray? Like, well, like all of us just we max out our schedules, and that's probably a whole nother uh, podcast episode we should yeah. talk about. Is, no is what what's yeah, up with we're our on TikTok so much? Well, you know what's up with our pride? Whoa, <laughs> maxing out our schedules. Shots uh, fired. <laughs> Let's but, pull up John Mark's screen time and see how long he's been on Instagram this week. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, I'm kidding. Uh, any, uh, John Mark, that's part of your job. That's part. I'm gonna, that is I'm part of my job. That's true. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So back up. TikTok's not in your job description, Brad. Maybe I should start a profile. Oh, for shades on TikTok. Oh my <laughs> word. Anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, time. Uh, just yeah, not having time. Which which says something about us. I think you know. For me, I, I find it convicting that the reason I don't have time for prayer is because I need to be accomplishing things. Mm. So that's saying I don't think prayer is accomplishing things. Right, yeah. You know, and that that's very convicting for me. Yeah. But I do think one of the things we can easily do is reclaim the margins uh, in our life. So I have tried to intentionally search out times uh, that I'm not, quote, unquote, accomplishing things. 
or I'm just kind of like wasting time or, or whatever. And one of the easiest ones for me on that uh, is driving. And this this does involve a sacrifice right here uh, because I have to give up my podcast time. Um, uh, it's normally time I could use to listen to podcasts or whatever. So what I've done uh, is I I you know I drive into work and I drive home from work. I only listen to a podcast uh, on one of those, and on the other one I try to spend that time. Uh, in prayer or reflection or or what have not or silence, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's something we can easily do. I do think there's a larger conversation to be had about what we should all be seeking to do with our schedules and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, future episode, but but I think easily we can look and try and reclaim some of the margins in our uh, in our schedule. Yeah, that kind of aligns with what I was gonna say. Is I feel like the stall cups and then bill ferris have taught me how just praying whenever you can no matter how short uh or quick it is can be extremely powerful so the other last week i went to lunch with bill ferris and i was getting in the car and as i was opening the door he was like let me pray for you and it it, it was a long prayer so this really doesn't make my point but there have been times where <laughs> bill will come up to me and he'll just say a sentence prayer or that's it or park and park and I'll be talking in mid conversation. She'll just pray a line or two with what we just talked about. I think about all the time. This might be a confession. I think about all the time someone will text something and uh, that they need prayer for. And, you know, 15, 20 people respond and say, praying, praying now, praying, praying. I've really tried. I mean, there have been so many times where I've texted that and then not prayed. Yeah. Um, but I've tr- really tried. Well, now my feelings are just. I've really tried to just okay. This, it, this maybe just a sentence or two. Maybe that's all you have time for right now, and that's that's all you need to do. And just letting that be, and not feeling this pressure to have to make it awesome mm. and great. And I think that goes back to. I think that goes back to what we were saying about our father, mm-hmm. and. I think it'd be interesting to investigate. Like when you sit down and start to pray, what what feelings come up for you? You know, do you feel anxious? Do you f- do you feel like you have to perform? Do you feel like you have to be perfect? Uh, maybe we need to have our imaginations, our minds, our hearts reshaped by the vision of the Triune God, in which we come before our Father in Christ by the Holy Spirit, who who loves us and delights in us. I just think of the image of a father who picks up his son from daycare and just the joy that's on his face when he sees his son. I mean, that's that's the relational reality that we're entering into when we go to pray before God. Yes, a holy and majestic God, but in Christ, the God we know as Father. So that's, I think, all I got. Yeah. No, what, what it made me think of, uh, right, when you were talking about Park and, and Bill and Jeff and, and uh, just kind of that constant practice of prayer, did you ever read um, uh, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence? I have that, and I have read all, most of it. Yeah, I haven't I, read the whole thing. He, he was a monk. Um, I, I read it forever ago. Mm. I can't remember 95% of it. But the one thing I remember <laughs> was, was this, this monk, he, he was responsible for like kitchen duty. That was one of his primary jobs in the Ugh. monastery. Um, and he would talk about how he tried to practice being constantly aware of the fact that God is with him and present. That's mm. the whole idea of the practice of the presence of God. And, and so kind of this constant state of 
prayer. Not that he's actively saying things, right, right, necessarily, but but being aware and in communion with with, with the Lord. And he talked about how he would do that at the sink, and that it got to the when he's washing dishes, and it got to the point that he could not tell a difference between his time at the sink and his time at the altar. Hmm. And that's that awesome. that just that kind of like short that like yeah, that's, that's always stuck with me. Powerful image. Um, and so that's that's what that made me think of though that kind of like constant practice yeah. of, of prayer and. You know, I mean, it just it, it just becomes that natural knee jerk reaction because you're in constant communion with with the Father, and and so you know, Park, Bill, all of these yeah. people, we aspire to to pray more like, yeah, God, I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. Well, and I think too, we one of the reasons we gather is to pray. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we've talked about individual prayer a lot. But I mean, I think about the church in its very early formation, and oh crap, I'm not going to remember the reference. Is it Pliny the Younger? Is it a letter? I love how you're looking at me. Is it Pliny the the Younger writing to Emperor Trajan? It's a very early document that we have that gives us this insight. I know what you're talking about, but I don't don't know who it was either, like for certain. I'll Ah, I'll Google it while you talk. Anyway. The whole point that I'm trying to make is that through the letter you see that the church in its early stages was gathering every morning. They didn't get Sundays off <laughs> to gather. And so they would meet in the mornings for worship and for prayer and for teaching every morning. And then they would go to work. So I'm not saying that we should do that, but I think that just... I do believe you're correct. Plenty of the younger temper oh, Trajan. Thank God. I feel so much better about myself now. <laughs> um, but that's just to back up the point that, yeah, I mean, we gather on a regular basis, whether that's in community groups, whether that's with our prayer team, whether that's in our worship service, whether that's with brothers and sisters over coffee to pray for one another. And so that's been a means that's allowed prayer to be a part of my life on a consistent basis. I right. need other people to do it. Well, uh, the last thing I'll say when I, as you were talking about that um, – uh, one of the critiques I think that'll get leveled against the church often is that we don't do much praying when we gather together. And there is a sense in which that's true, and that's a warranted critique. But the small little bit of pushback I would give on that <laughs> is that we do need to reframe a little bit the way that we think about our singing. Um, because, yes... Yeah. We can talk about prayer and we can talk about singing as separate things, but there's also this blurry, fuzzy line. It's a lot of overlap between the two, and that's why I can call the Psalms both a songbook and a prayer book. Yeah, I, I can call it both. And so we need to reframe sometimes as as we are singing um, songs that we are praying mm-hmm. together corporately. Totally. Uh, the the words just have melody. Right, attached, yeah. you know, to try and bring an even more amplified expression to the emotion of what we're saying. Totally. So, yeah, that's big. Anyway. All right. Well, we've talked for way longer than I intended, um, but there you go. So you got some thoughts on prayer, uh, things that have been hard, things that have been helpful. Uh, email us about it. Uh, midweek at shadesvalley.org. We'd love to to hear about those things. Or some recommendations on books uh, on prayer. That's right. Um, and things of the nature. But so, yeah, email us. Why should they email us, Chad? Uh, <laughs> why should they email us, Brad? I, combi- I tried to combine your name with the word shades. I was going to say shrad. Why should they email us, shrad? I think shrad is an awesome <laughs> 
It, listen, it's just been one of those days. It's amazing we made it to the end of this episode. If you're still here, send us another email yes. with the subject line balloons. Email us at shrad at, sh- at midweek. Gosh. Uh, the tagline. What's the tagline? Email us at, sh- at, at midweek, midweek at shadesvalley.org. Because. Because. Here at Shades Midweek, you're part of the conversation.